0: idea today, this morning, that uh, everybody's got uh, more Peter Furler songs on their mind and and hamburgers and hot dogs, and so um, I'm going to get us there, I promise you. We're going to get there together. But first, first things first, uh, the only team in the NFL that believes in blood of Jesus Red. (laughs) Got my five fans in here, the faithful, that's right. I, I have no person to root for because I don't know that any of them will be around in, in the next two years. And so I just root for myself as a fan <laughs> in their colors. And so, uh, yes. So uh, thank you to, man, I wish I could say that was my, my genius, but that was all Kelly on that, making sure, you know, uh, doing that. So um, one last thing. I do know that not everybody has a jersey, and so uh, maybe you didn't, weren't able to bring one. We want to make sure that you have one so you can borrow another one that I have if you, <laughs> if you need. Uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've, been, I've been waiting for somebody to buy me a Dodgers jersey so I can wear it. I was going to wear it today, but nobody bought me one, and this just happens to be Bum Gardner. They say he's the best pitcher in the game. Um, uh, three World Series in five years, this guy. <laughs> get to your message get to your message <laughs> all right anyway anyway i am trying to jump on board but uh a welcome to Cameron community church my, my name is david hurtado uh are we good my name is david hurtado i'm the lead pastor here and so i'm so glad that you are here with us and um uh, we've been in this series, you'll see it on the screen, more than a fan going through the book of Malachi, and we're going to kind of finish that up today, and so, uh, and we'll, we'll do that together, and uh, I promise you we're going to get there to some fun stuff later. So, first I would say this, I was addicted to a, a TV show several years ago. And uh, I don't know if you uh, are, are acquainted with it. It was called The Dog Whisperer. Did you ever see The Dog Whisperer? Yeah, it was this Hispanic dude named Cesar, which any show, like reality show with a Hispanic dude, awesome already, right? And so here's a Hispanic guy. He's, his name is Cesar. It was on like the, the, uh, the Nature Channel, was it? it was, an uh, animal channel, whatever. And so he was on this show, and he was the dog whisperer, and he would go to different people's homes, and he would teach them all about dog psychology, as he called it. Uh, you got to think like a dog. you got to think like a, a pack member. Dogs are used to being in packs, and so he would go in. And basically his whole, his whole thing, would, he would go in, and there were certain behaviors that certain dogs would exhibit that, uh, you know, that, that maybe they, their owners didn't want them to exhibit. And so he would go there and try to help them uh, fight back on all these you know, dysfunctional behaviors of these dogs and help them train them to to, to to act appropriately the way we'd want them to act. And so the barking, the biting, the jumping on people, the tearing up the couch, the, the attacking other animals or attacking stuffed animals or or whatever it may be, you know, the, the mailman coming by, whatever those things, he would go in there and he would say, okay, let me, let, me, let me know what the pesky behavior is of your animal and let me teach you how to train it to not do that anymore. That was his whole stick. And so, and it was all, always interesting because they're, the family that he'd go to like every one of them at some point in the show would go I know my dog has these pesky unruly behaviors and and I really I I know that uh that that you know it's unbecoming of a sweet dog but I promise you when when this thing is not here when this person's not here it, it's really a sweet dog like she's really sweet she's really kind the best dog in the world I don't want to get rid of the dog because of this pesky behavior even though I know it's bothersome and so it's just that when they see children they think appetizer you, you know what I mean? And so, but, and, but it's a really sweet dog. You know, they, they always go through this little routine, and Cesar, like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. And so, Cesar would do this thing where he would, he would he'd, he'd assess the dog, assess the family, and then for big time situations, he would bring the dog back to his compound where he had like 150 dogs that were living there. And this one particular dog, this lady called him in and said, you know, whenever he sees another dog, he goes nuts. He goes crazy. So I can't take him on a walk. If the dog's across the street starts pulling me, uh, he just wants to attack anything living that's a dog. And so he goes, okay, I see that. Okay, I'm going to take him to my dog pound where there's, you know, you know the, the, the dog compound where there's 150 dogs. She's like, no, you can't do that. He'll fight with all the dogs. And he's like, well, you have to understand, dogs, you know, live in pack mentality. So they understand how to, how to you know, live and breed with other dogs. And so that's, that's his normal place. So the fact that you're telling me that he can't do that, I'm just kind of skeptical. Let me take him for a couple weeks. Takes him for a couple weeks, introduces him to 150 dogs. They do their little thing. They sniff each other. And he realized where he is in the dog-eat-dog world, and he's not the top dog. And he just falls in line with the pack. Does this, he exercises the dog every day, whatnot, does all these things. After three weeks, he says, okay, the dog's been rehabilitated, brings the dog back to the woman. And he says, I want to let you know that he was with my you know, 150 dogs at the dog compound, and he just did just fine. Okay, so she's there, and they do a test where they're going to have him walk by another dog right in front of the owner. And they've done this test many more times at the dog compound. They've done many walks, and he's been fine. But for some reason, when the dog walked in front of the other dog with his owner present, he started going crazy again. Cesar looks at the situation, turns to the owner, which is the lady, and says, I need you to turn around and go in the house. Turn around and go in the house. They were outside. And so she turns around goes in the house. They settle the dogs down, and he walks back in. He goes, I want to let you know something. You're going to have to figure out how to calm yourself down, even internally, the, the anxiety that you have inside of yourself, because the dog is able to sense it, and it, it, it has to be you, because I took the dog in another situation and the dog's fine. So the issue is not necessarily your dog, the issue is you. And you're going to have to turn that around and figure out how to calm yourself down. You exercise the dog, you train the dog, and then you approach the dog with a calm, assertive nature about yourself. And that will calm the dog down. And so he basically taught her how to control her inner emotions, and then she could get the dog to do what she wanted to do. It was an interesting thing, though, that he said to her. Um, your response affects the outcome, so turn around. What he was saying to her is that your response in this situation with these dogs actually affects the outcome that you want. And so you're going to need to turn around. Go back in the house and turn around. Turn around and turn the behavior around. You're to, you to turn. It's not your dog's behavior that's the issue. It's your response that affects the outcome that you're going to need to turn around. And that's kind of what we're going to look at today as we come to the end of our series in Malachi. Malachi is having a similar parting message to all of us, to, to, to the nation of Israel at the time of the Old Testament. And it kind of crosses over to, to us today. And that is this, that how you respond spiritually to God affects your outcome. So don't turn around, but turn to God. How you respond spiritually to God affects your outcome, so turn towards God. How you respond matters, so turn to Him. In fact, that's what we're going to look at in our passage today, those three ideas. First, we're going to look at how you respond. Second, we're going to we're look at it affects the outcome. And third, we're going to look at, so turn to God. That's actually going to be the outline of our passage today. And I want you to turn there. Go to, go to Malachi Fourth chapter of Malachi. Actually, we'll start in chapter 3. Open up your Bible. Open up your phones. Get there with me. If you're new to us, you'll get used to this. Um, I have nothing to say except for what comes out. I'm I'm like a flashlight. All I do is open it up, and I want to highlight what God is saying in his word. I have nothing to say on my own. I'm not that cute. I'm not that smart. I just want to show you God's word. And so if you go to Malachi chapter 3, we're going to start at verse uh, 16. So that's where we left off last week. And we're going to kind of finish the book of Malachi in chapter 4. A little side note. Please come back next week. We're going to start a new series called Illuminate, and it's going to really kind of describe our values as a church moving forward. We're going to do four weeks. We're going to describe the values of this church moving forward. So what's the foundation of our church moving forward? Where are we headed? What it's going to look like around here? What are we going to be about? Those questions will all be answered in the next four weeks. So come back for Illuminate uh, next week. We'd love to see you a part of that. But for right now, ending the series in Malachi, more than a fan, we're going to look at chapter 3. And verse 16. But first, on the screen, it says wisdom from 2,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago that still applies to today. Wisdom, we're going to look at right in Malachi right now, but tw- written 2,500 years ago that still applies to today. Number one, how you respond. Let's look at this. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in the presence in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. All right, so let's stop there. How you respond. Obviously, something's going on in the book of Malachi. You guys remember this book. It's been a very challenging book. If you've been here throughout the whole series, if you haven't, go back online. You can listen to it online. Very challenging, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Now we're in chapter 4. And it seems like some people have responded to the message of the prophet Malachi. All right? And so something is going on where they've responded, and he says, you, they're fearing the Lord. They're not turning to God in fear. Chapter 1, you remember, it was, uh, are you giving God your best? Remember, they were giving uh, 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 cross-eyed sacrifices to God. They're, they weren't bringing the choice animal, the choice lamb, to be sacrificed. And, and basically, they had relaxed their spiritual commitment, their religious commitment before him. Chapter 2, you remember that they were <clears throat> neglecting their deepest relationships before God. They had gotten married and, and married to uh, other people of their same like and same faith. And they were divorcing them so they could go and marry others of a different, serving a different God and worshiping a different God. In essence, saying, I choose that God over this God. I don't want my wife or my husband anymore. I want someone else. I want to uh, be able to have ownership of that decision and leaving their deepest commitment for God. That was chapter 2. It says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't give me your best in worship. Give me your best in this in this religious life, this journey, chapter one. Give me your best as it relates to your most intimate personal relationships. Keep those. You promise to keep those for me. And then in chapter three, you remember he said, You've neglected to underwrite the cause. You you had a deal with me, and it went like this. I have given you everything you own, and your deal was that you were gonna underwrite this thing so this can continue to flourish and so God can continue to bless inside the building and outside the building. And and you have neglected that. You've neglected that. And in chapter four, it seems like they start turning. There's some people, a subsect or, or 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 a remnant, so to speak, a people that says, Okay, we've heard you, Malachi. We need to turn our ways. We need to turn around. We need to turn towards God. To where he would say, those who, uh, so, it, then those who feared the Lord. And so now they're coming back to fear the Lord. They talked with each other. And as they were talking to each other, the Lord listened and heard. Okay, I'm, whereas I'm not necessarily listening when you're off doing your own thing. When you're talking about fearing me and turning back toward me, you better believe I'm listening. And so the Lord starts listening. In fact, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord. There it is again. And honored his name. And so there's a turning back that happens. Okay, we were messed up. We were doing the wrong thing. You highlighted that, Malachi. We hear it. We get it. Now we're going to turn towards God and fear him again. God says, I'm going to listen. When you do this, when you take this action of turning back towards God and, and saying, I've messed up and it's time for me to right the ship here. God says, I will listen to you. Not only will I start listening to you, I will write your name in a book. Other passages in the Bible talk about this being the book of life. and In Revelation, when you go there and and he opens up the book of life, those who are written in the book of life get into heaven. Those that aren't, don't. That's the idea. We see it in other ways in Scripture, too, like written on on the palms of his hand, that there's an idea that God is taking an accounting. He's watching us. He's watching our behavior. He's watching our life. He's watching the effect of Jesus Christ in our life and how we act, and he's paying attention to it, and he's also writing names down in a book. When you turn back to me, I listen. Not only that, I write your name down. And secondly, I declare that you are mine. Did you see that in verse 17? They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In that day when I, when I make up my treasured possession, you become a treasured possession for him and a treasured possession that will be spared in compassion, is what he says. When you take this action, when you say, I'm going to turn around, God says, I will listen, you'll be mine, you'll be my treasured possession, and I will spare you. That is the result of that, when you say, I'll turn back to God. And so we see how you respond matters. How you respond, it ma- matters more than what you've been a part of more than what you've been doing, more than the sin that you've been entangled with. How you respond to that in relation to God is more important than all those things. Because if you turn around, he'll listen. He'll put your name in the book of life. He'll spare you. You'll be his. You become his treasured possession. You remember remember in chapter 3 when it said, I'm going to come like fire. And it's going to burn things up. And, and, and when they would take these precious metals like gold and silver and they put it in an extreme fire. And, and then all of a sudden the impurities would burn off and all you would have left is pure silver or pure gold. And he's saying, remember, I'm going to come in this fire. And, and then when, I, when we're done with that fire, I'm going to have a treasured possession. You're going to be my gold. You're going to be my silver. That is if you can pass the fire. That's the idea. And so we see a God in this, in this book of Malachi who will come in judgment, who will bring justice. So how I respond affects the outcome. Now let's talk about the outcome. Look at verse 18 on the screens for you. Uh, and you will again see the distinction, big word there, highlight it, underline it. And then you will again see a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. You'll see a distinction between those two. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. Remember, we just talked about that. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be, will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them afire, says the Lord Almighty. No root or, br- or branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will be trampled, then you will trample down the wicked. there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. We'll stop right there. How you respond, number two, affects the outcome. Affects the outcome. And the idea here is that there are those who have responded by turning around towards God. This is what all you've been doing. I sent my prophet to indict you. And there's some who've received the indictments. Okay, yes, you're right. We're going to turn back around to God. And he says, when they turn around, by virtue of the fact that they turn around, now I must distinguish them from the rest. You got to hear this. This is so important. Because by the virtue of the fact that I have a remnant that have turned to God and gotten the right relationship with me, now I must distinguish them from the others that didn't do that. And so we see he tells us exactly how he's going to distinguish them. Uh, there's the minus side of that, and there's the plus side of that. There's the people who get his judgment, and there's the people who don't. But he starts with first with the judgment piece. I'm going to distinguish them, and then surely day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. The arrogant and the evildoer will be stubble, and on that day I will set them ablaze on fire. The Lord Almighty says no root or branch will be left of them. It's not a happy day for those who don't know Jesus Christ in that day. It's not a happy day. It's an ugly day, horrible day, burning like a furnace. We mentioned this in chapter 3. Every evildoer will be like chaff set ablaze in that fire. The fire is so powerful that nothing will be left except for ash. No root or branch can make it through. But then he changes and he says, but let me tell you with you who have turned around, what's in line for you in verse 2 but for you who revere my name back to those folks the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from a stall and then you will trample down the wicked there will be ashes under the soles of your feet in that day when the Lord does these things. So with a plus sign for those who have turned around and looked to God and said, yes, you're right. And I'm going to go away from not giving you my best. I'm going to go away from divorce. I'm going to go away from, 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 from not underwriting the cause. I mean, all these things I've been doing that have proven to you that I'm, my heart is not fully given to you. I'm going to reject those things. I'm turning back to you. I'm going to make the adjustment. He says, for you, there's something else. The sun of righteousness will, will carry with it healing in its wings. So in, in some way, the sun comes in judgment and scorches in judgment. But for those who believe, that, 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 the, the rays on the sun at that point become like a healing factor for you. And wings is always in Scripture used as a, as a protective measure. You'll be protected from the fire is the idea. Very symbolic. And on that day, you'll skip like calves being freed from the stall. you ever been to a rodeo? I've never been to one, but I watch them on ESPN. And there, they get, they get the rowdiest cow, or what is it, a buck, or what are they? I don't know what they're called. I'm not a cowboy. The point is, they release that dude. They put some dude on it with a little rope, and he's supposed to stay on there for eight seconds, and usually they can't stay on for two, right? Well, as soon as they release that thing, it starts bucking all over the place, and that's the picture you have right here in the Scripture. That on that day, when judgment comes for the believer who, who knows he's gotten right with God, he'll be jumping up and down elated. I'm no longer confined to this world. I'm no longer confined to this earth. I'm no longer confined to sin and shame. And all. No, I'm freed, and I'm just jumping around. And he says, you're jumping around, and the ash on your feet is you're trampling on the wicked. That's the picture that he has. For, for the believer on that day, it's a day of joy, not a day of judgment, not a day of fear. That's what he's saying. Many people are complaining in the book of Malachi. I brought it up a couple times, and it's the same complaint today. That because there's evil in the world, God must not exist. That's what they were saying in the book of Malachi. Obviously, there's no difference between my life, I'm trying to live for God, and there's no difference. God is the nothing. It's almost like he's promoting the evildoer. It's almost like you're you're wicked, and, and therefore God takes pleasure in you, and he's promoting you. Why, if I'm a believer, am I not being promoted, and yet somebody else being degraded when they're evil? Obviously, there is no God. That's the same idea, same mindset that we have today. Same, they are complaining about the same thing. And what he's saying in this passage is, hey, don't get it twisted. Take it to the bank. There will be a day where God writes all the wrongs. God will right every wrong. There will be no stone left unturned. And he's being patient right now as he waits for others that gathers more people into the family of God. But there will be a day where he will right every wrong. The thing that you think about in your brain that you don't like to think about a lot and the ugliest things of your life. And why did you let this happen, God? And, and, and why did you let this person do this to me? And why did this happen? Understand this. It's horrible. It feels ugly. Believe me, I've had some of those in my life as well. I'm just telling you, no stone will be left unturned. He will judge everybody according to two things. Either their own works in their life, if they don't have Christ, or whether they have Christ who's covered them for the works in their life. He will judge everything. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day where he writes all the wrongs. But you can't miss the point of this section that is this. By virtue of the fact that some have responded to the call of repentance, that means that I must distinguish them from the others who haven't. I'm going to say that again. You can think about that together. By virtue of the fact that some have responded to turn around to God, that means by virtue of that fact, I must distinguish them from the rest who have not. I must distinguish them. I must show them that they made the right choice. They responded well. And the way I show them is how I respond to the wicked eventually. Even if in today it doesn't seem like he's doing it. He will one day. So, number one, how you respond. Number two, affects the outcome. So, number three, turn to God. Let's look at verse 4. It's on the screens for you. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees, and the laws I gave him at Mount Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you a prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's this day of judgment that we've been talking about. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their, the hearts of their children to their fathers, and the hearts of their fathers to their children, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So turn to God. You remember these laws that I've given to Moses. You remember Mount Horeb was the place that that Moses got the Ten Commandments. That's what he said. You remember the Ten Commandments, right? You know my standard for you. You you remember that agreement we made that I will be your God and you will be my people and you will follow me. Go back to those things and follow those things. Show me that you're more than a fan, that you're a completely committed follower. Let it take effect in your life. Not just I have Jesus, but it's never changed, made a difference in my life. Well, you might not have Jesus. Jesus. When you're more than a fan, I'm not a bandwagon fan here. No, no, I'm a completely committed follower. I'm going to go after these things. I'm going to strive for these things. I'm not going to make it every day. And when I don't make it, I I fall on the grace of Jesus and the blood of Jesus once again. But I'm going to keep on going. And hopefully I'm better today than I was a year ago and three years ago and five years ago and ten years ago. And in 20 years you're going to see a different person than you see on the stage. Hopefully that's what we're striving after. The inference is you know this judgment is coming. And whether you are a believer in the room, and you say, okay, I know judgment is coming, it should spurn you on and motivate you to live for him. Why? Because judgment is coming. And I want to serve him until that day. I don't want to rest on my morals and, 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 disappoint and be disappointed and, and, and be disappointed when he shows up. I don't want that. I want to be like, yes, perfect timing, rather than being disappointed. Remember me. Follow me. Live according to me. Abide in me, however you want to put it. Stop cutting the corners. You know what you're supposed to do. Do it. Do it. Live for him because you know judgment is coming. And by the way, if you're not a believer in the room and you're new to this whole spiritual thing, he's saying because judgment is coming, there's motivation for you to turn around and turn to God as well. I'm still going to send some messengers. He says, the great and terrible day of the Lord is a day of judgment. He says, Elijah is coming. We saw Elijah in chapter 3. We believe that that is John the Baptist coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. We see in the Old Testament sometimes, even some titles of the Messiah would be the son of David, or those type of things. We know David didn't come back himself. It was Jesus Christ who came, fulfilled those prophecies. Same thing here. It's the idea of someone coming in the spirit and likeness of Elijah. That was John the Baptist, uh, preparing the way for Jesus, fulfilling that. But there are also, if you want to study later, uh, there are also um, the two prophets of the end times. Now, I, I, I kind of dove into end-time stuff doing this message, and then I decided to steer clear of it because it's, so, it's loaded with so much stuff. We'll probably do an end-time series, series in the future. We can dive into that. But there are these two prophets of the end times that kind of bring in the very, very great and dread, dreadful, dreadful day of the Lord, and that's what he's talking about here. So someone in the spirit and likeness of Elijah will come again as one of those two end-time prophets. Uh, you will know that it's coming when you see those guys is the idea. And in the process, he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their sons and vice versa. And the idea is unity will come back to families as they will say, we all together worship the same God. And how many of us would love to see that in our families today? And the idea is when they, this, this is all going to happen as a culmination and get us to the point of judgment. And this is where it's hard. Because he's saying, don't let my patience deceive you. I'm going to bring justice. And for me to bring justice means I have to bring judgment. Judgment is imminent or I can't have justice. So therefore the idea is turn to God because this has to happen. Because understand this, and this is our, 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 uh, our big idea of the day, and it's a hard one to swallow, so we're going to take it in together. It'll be on the screens. Justice demands judgment. Justice demands judgment. That's a hard to swallow. Okay, I'm going to develop this in a second. Justice demands judgment. You don't get one without the other. You can't have, you have to have, have we have to have one to have the other. And it's the Rubicon that we're going to have to cross in our mindset. If you truly want justice, and you're going to have to be okay with embracing the biblical concept of judgment. Without judgment, you don't have justice. The two go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. Justice demands judgment. It's interesting to me, follow me here, how we have people who are critical of God or critical of the concept of God or uh, the belief in God. And they'll stand opposed in their arguments on this very subject. They'll say things like this. I can't believe in a God who will allow evil to run rampant in this world. Remember we talked about this a couple years ago? If Because there is evil in the world, there must not be a God because if there was a God, he would take care of the evil in the world. You've heard that kind of thing before? And so therefore, because there's evil in the world, there must not be a God. And so they use the problem of evil. We call it the problem of evil. Why do we have evil in this world? They use the problem of evil to be the reason why they don't believe in God. All right? That that becomes the way to discredit the very existence of God. And yet those same people will do something else. They use another argument. Another reason, a separate, agree, a separate reason in their mind as to why they don't believe in God. Another reason they discredit God, and goes like this. Tell me if you heard this one. I can't believe in a God who would condemn people to eternal punishment. Ever heard that? I can't believe in a God who would condemn people to eternal punishment. And they don't realize that when you hold both of those views, you're, it's almost oxymoronic. You're very. You're coming very close to, the, to crossing the line of the law of law, of non-contradiction. You understand that? that that you can't have it both ways. If God can only be a just God if He deals with evil, then how can you get upset with Him when He deals with evil and believe He's not there? So I don't. I don't believe in a God because there's evil in this world. But then He's going to deal with that evil. Well, I don't believe in a God because He's going to deal with evil. How does that work? You're going to have to embrace one to embrace the other. That's why I say justice demands judgment. Justice demands judgment. Many of you guys know that uh, I was a youth pastor for many years before. Um, you know, I kind of worked my way up in different, different realms in the church, and then finally I'm here today as a lead pastor. And I used to deal with this stuff all the time with kids, and I, I love dealing with kids because so they're just so honest, you know. Let's just tell you what they feel. I love it. You know, it's one of the best things about them. And, and I would go to them. I'd say, "Hey, you've been hanging out with us for six months. You came to our outreach program. Now you're hanging out with us. What do you think about this God thing? I mean, I'm not pressuring you. Whatever, yeah. You know, whatever you, you teach their own, do your thing. I, you know. But what, what do you think about this God thing? Well, I don't know. You know, I like hanging out. With you guys, your guys are pretty cool. But I'm not sure about this whole God thing. So well, let, let's just pose this question: If you were to die and go to heaven, you're staying at the gates of heaven, and you have to deal with the great Judge. That you know. I mean, you know. You know that you've done bad things. You know if God is perfect, if there's a God and he's perfect, you know you don't deserve him. Oh, yeah, I get that. What would you say when you die and you're standing before the gates of heaven and God says, why should I let you in? Like, what would you have to say? The kid will always, something like this, you know, I, you know, you know God, you know, you're, you're, I know you're loving, kind, just God, and I just hope you'll let me in. That you'll look past all and just pardon me, just completely pardon me for everything I've done. I know I don't deserve you, but I just hope you'll let me in. I heard that so often that I started responding this way. I would tell them a story. That's interesting. You know, I've heard of a story, if you just would listen for about five minutes, I think it'll help you. I heard the story of a guy who stood accused of a crime before a judge in a courtroom. And you know how it goes, there's lawyers on this side and argues against you, and this lawyer defends you, and, argue. and at the very end, finally, the judge says, I'm going to give my verdict. And in this situation, when, when all is said and done, and the lawyers can do no more, they just sit down and listen, and the judge just speaks, and he's got a gavel for reason. He's in authority over the situation. And he says, I pronounce you guilty. And you know you're guilty anyways, but I pronounce you guilty. And then the courtroom kind of shifts at that point. Instead of being a place of trying to find guilty or innocence, now it becomes a sentencing session. And the court is gonna give you an opportunity to speak. And you know your lawyer's told you, you better say something smart here. Because here's the guy who can let you walk and set you free, or he can put you, you know, hard time. So you better have thought through what you're gonna say. And so guilty is the thing, and then the judge says, before I give you your sentence, do you have anything you wanna to say to me? The guy gets up to the podium and he says, you know, Judge, I can see that you're a good guy. I can see by the way you run this thing that you have integrity. You're good and faithful. You're a good judge. I can see that you're a kind, loving, and just person. And I just hope that you'll look on your kindness and pardon of me of all these activities that I stand guilty of before you today. And the judge looks back at him and says, You're right. I am good and I am kind. And I am a just judge. And because of that, I must punish you. Because if I don't punish you, then I'm no longer being just. Justice is not had if I don't. And I turn to the kid and go, what are you going to say when God says that? Because he has to be just. Or he's not being consistent with himself. By virtue of the fact that some have turned towards God, he has to distinguish them from the others who have not. What are you going to say then? Probably the scariest place to be in the world. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Before we get to more songs and good food, just give some attention to God this morning. Give some attention to what he's doing in your heart. The fact of the matter is we believe there is a solution for this problem. That it's just in in spite of all the things you've done that's contrary to God in your past, everything that's sinful that you are most ashamed of, all the sin, no matter how ugly it is, I could preach the same message at San Quentin on death row and it would still apply. And the solution is Jesus Christ. To put your trust in Jesus Christ that there was a man who walked on earth who was 100% man and 100% God and lived a perfect life that I could never live. And so when I get to that heaven and, and God says, well, why should I let you in? Oh man, there's nothing in me. There's nothing in me that would qualify me for that. It's only the work of Jesus Christ, his blood on the cross. If you'll give me credit for his life and let him take the penalty for my wrongdoings in my life, That's the only way I could be worthy of you. And God says, if you claim my son, you get in. That's the gospel message. That Jesus would hang on a cross for our sin, our penalty. He would die and he would defeat death and rise again on the third day. How you respond affects the outcome. So turn to God. How you respond affects the outcome. So turn to God. Justice demands judgment man I pray that you would let Jesus take that judgment for you I don't want to see you on that day having to deal with that question if you're here and you're a believer then this should should reignite you and your passion to live for God on this earth because judgment is coming and I want to be proud of him on that day if you're here and you're new to this whole spiritual thing man I tell you the solution for you turn to God turn to Jesus Christ Because judgment is coming. I wonder if you're here today. I don't know if you're a guest today. Maybe the most providential thing in the world that God would have you come today and hear this. You could simply, in your heart, right now, just in your heart, in the quietness of your heart, respond this way: God, I need you. I realize, man, if judgment is coming and and you are real, man, I don't deserve you. I get all that. I don't want to be judged. I want to be spared. The only way the Bible comes to that is if you become part of the family of God and you do it this way. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess in your mouth Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Just have mental assent to that today. I claim you, Jesus. I claim the cross. I claim you're risen. And now come invade my life and make me a new being. Father, all the evil in the world that we see today Sometimes we give you credit for stuff that had nothing to do with you. According to Genesis chapter 3, our very own choices, Adam and Eve, that's why evil came into the world. That's why there's death. You never designed us to die. It was because we decided not you. You were always there. We turned away from you. And that's where sin came in the world. And And so I can say boldly, it wasn't God who raped you. It wasn't God who molested you. It wasn't God who abused you. It wasn't God who did any of those things. There's a person and a name attached to all those things in this world. Even cancer. God didn't want cancer. It was judgment on our very own decisions. Father, I pray you heal those hurts and remind us that evil isn't the reason to not believe that you're around. We should just be grateful that in the midst of evil, you still decided that you would save us. Help us understand it. Help us live more excited for you. Help us live passionately for you because we know that justice demands judgment and judgment is coming. And for those of us who believe and love you, we'll be spared. We thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.